Uh, it's the weekend after Easter, and I'm so grateful for you being here. And I just want to, just as a church family, one say thank you for serving so many last week. We had over 655 people last week, and I'm just so grateful for your care and your willingness just to love one another last week. Thank you for that. Well, five months ago in December, we had uh, began the Christmas series called A Radical Gift. And it was at that time that we saw the, the preparing work of God and the presenting work of God and the power of God and the personal work of God during that. And a radical gift carries a radical call with it. I just want to make sure that we're reminded with where we're at in this present series. What we're talking about comes out of the radical gift that's been made available. If you know Christ is your Savior, there is a call in your life. God has a call in your life. And we together are on this vertical journey together. And in this vertical journey, we're about loving God and, and, and loving others in this reality of it. And um, I'm just grateful for the gift. And I am grateful for the call. really am. Yet it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. Well, the last four months have been about this radical call and about the church increasingly catching and and getting our radical call for us. And if we're going to climb the summit together, Chris, if we could advance on up to the, thank you. Uh, if we're going to advance onto the summit together of loving God and, and loving others with that, the, the fact is, is that we need to uh, be people who are pressing ahead together. And in fact, you can see the list of things here that we've been covering so far, these one another's of Scripture and in these one another's, uh, today, we're going to be talking about going vertical together, being the kind of people who forgive one another. Okay, so forgive one another. Now, I want for you to grab your update. Okay, take a look at it. In fact, if I could, Todd and Glenn, could you go out and check, see if there's any more updates, and just go up the aisle, and if anybody needs an update, because, well, you see the update? Does it not, the sermon page, does it not look different than normal? Okay, if you're here normally, I'll maybe have some spots on there. I'm not necessarily like, you know, I don't want people falling into too many, just fill the blank in and like they get it. I like for you to be able to write and so forth. But today's a different day. It looks different there. And if you don't have an update with you to be able to keep notes, I want these guys to come up and just ask them for one. They can get you one. But today is going to be different than a normal week. Uh, this isn't going to be so much of a sermon as it is going to be like a classroom. Okay? Class, hey, all right, this is good. All right, classrooms in session. Now, here's what we're doing. Like, if you've been at a conference or a workshop, uh, normally we'd open to a text, we'd go through it, we'd study it out. But today, just in preparing on this topic of forgiveness, there are so many ways, so many things to talk about. And I made the decision. I didn't want to just be able to be in a place where we just talk kind of one thing. I wanted for us to be able to do this. Today, I'm going to lay the table. Okay, I'm just going to lay out a number of things out on the table. You are probably going to walk away with potentially some more questions than you might have uh, all answers, and that's okay. I just want to get some things out on the table. They're only 10 cents, so it's all right. Um, out on the table for us today with that, 
And then as time goes on and we get into Philippians, a number of these things I'm going to be able to get in more detail on. But today's just laying some stuff out on the table, okay? So we're kind of in class. We're kind of just going to go at some stuff. And then at the very end is actually where we're going to open and read a passage. I've given you all those verses on the sheet because we just can't go to them all today, okay, on this topic. And so during the week, I'd encourage you to go and read these, study it some more, see what God's had to word. But I'm going to kind of bring it together in a classroom format. So here we go. Ready? Redeemed people forgive. Okay? Redeemed people forgive. In fact, say it with me. Okay, that is a reality. Now, five biblical facts about our present life reality. Okay, let me get a few things on the table. Number one, fact number one, we all sin. We all sin. In fact, if you've sinned this week, would you raise your hand? (laughs) Okay, listen, I just want to tell you, that is a reality, okay? We all sin. And I'm just in a place here where it's like, listen, let's cut fake church. Let's do real life church, okay? We're on a vertical climb. We're climbing the summit. We're seeking to love God. We're seeking to love other people. And as we are interacting with one another in this process of it, let's just be real about it. And one of the facts is we've all sinned, Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's just the reality. All have sinned. And we've all sinned big. I just want to hear me say that again. We have all sinned big. And I'm just telling you today this. If you don't get that reality, that you and I have sinned big before a holy God, I'm just going to tell you the rest of everything I'm going to talk about won't make sense. You've got to start at a place where you understand that we've all sinned, we all are sinners, and we've all sinned big. Sin hurts. Sin damages. Sin separates. It separates us from God. It separates us from others. Sin costs the cross. That was a costly payment for sin. Okay? We all sin. Isn't that happy? We all sin. That's just a reality. Now, along with that, sin is a big problem for the unredeemed. Sin is a big problem for the unredeemed. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And this isn't smack talk. This is just theological, biblical thinking. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 talks about this reality. It's that the unredeemed, the person without Christ, the person who hasn't been received God's forgiveness in their life, they're in this place where they're stuck and they're... Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, talks about how they're walking in it, they're living in it. it, it it's not that they're stuck there uh, against their choice. That's where we start. And in the reality, it is by choice that we're there, that a person stays there. Sin is a big problem for the underdeep. But before we get our noses too far up in the air, here's the real fact as well. Sin is a big problem for the redeemed. If you know Christ is your Savior, sin is a big problem for you and I. Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul talks about himself and he says, it's like I want to do what's right, but it's like I can't do what's right. He talks about a battle of sin where the unredeemed are stuck in sin. Uh, the, the follower of Christ who's received Christ is in a battle with sin. Okay? Uh, that's just the reality of it. So here's my question. We all sin. Then why are we generally surprised by sin? Why are we surprised by sin if after what I just went through? We often live surprised when people without Christ sin. Like, can you believe our world today? Can you believe there's bad things happening in our world today? Well, 
Yeah. Again, as you've heard me say before, that's the wrong question. The right question is this. Can you believe that anything good happens in our world today? Because the fact of the matter, it's only because of the grace of God. Is there anything from this turning into a place of, if you will, hell on earth? And God is refraining that. God is holding that back in his grace at this point in time. And so here in this, uh, unredeemed, they sin. And by the way, why are we often surprised when my brother or sister in Christ or when my pastor sins? Let's get really personal. Why are we surprised when a brother or sister in Christ sins? Can you believe it? My brother in Christ sinned. Can you believe it? My sister in Christ sinned. Can you believe that? Well, duh. Yeah. Fact number two, we all will sin. We all will sin. Because all of sin, because we battle sin, we all will sin. I don't embrace a Kazakh theology, kind of more popular down south, where it's like you get to a point and you can attain victory over all sin and you don't sin anymore. What? That's not what the Bible talks about, Romans chapter 7. And Paul never got there. Okay, we all will sin. Okay, we all, thank you. Fact number three, we will all sin against one another. We will all sin against number one another. It's not if, it's when. You've sinned, I've sinned. You will sin, I will sin. You will sin against one another. I will sin against one another. Now, if right now, maybe you're new here <laughs> You're just sitting here and you're kind of like, what? I'm shocked. I would say, why are we shocked? I was going to say it again. I'm just really tired of Christians or church just kind of living like everything is just honky-dory. Let's be real. And this is it. Let's be biblically real. We all sin. We all will sin. We're all going to sin against one another. That's just a fact. Now, are you saddened by that? Absolutely. And that's sad. But that's what the reality is. So, if that's the case, are you prepared to handle sin? It's kind of like this right now, especially with the sad news of the tornadoes that have taken place and you see all the destruction. Let me just put it in this. You are going to 100% guaranteed have a sin tornado come against you. Guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. So, are you preparing for it? This is where too often we just get to a place where it's kind of like, what? I can't believe that just happened. Again, theologically, why? We all sin. We all will sin. We will all sin against one another. The tornado's coming. It's not if, it's when. And you may be, and you will be, a tornado. Because we all sin, and we all will sin. Fact number four, God calls the redeemed to be forgiveness-seeking, forgiveness-giving people. God calls the redeemed to be forgiveness-seeking, forgiveness-giving people. We're going to camp on that here in just a moment. But I want to say this. That is radical. And it's radical because uh, forgiving, uh, seeking forgiveness, giving forgiveness, it's not easy. It's not natural. We're not bent that way. 
We are bent towards silence from sin, toward avoiding sin, towards covering sin, just like Adam and Eve did, just like Jonah did, just like we talked about last week, like David did. And anytime there's someone who seeks forgiveness or who gives forgiveness, it's so unnatural that it's a God thing when it happens. It's a God thing when forgiveness takes place. It's a God thing. Statement. Enduring relationships require forgiveness. Enduring relationships require forgiveness. In fact, I can say it this way. Without forgiveness, there are no enduring relationships. Without forgiveness, there are no enduring relationships. Fact number five, last one of these. Satan loves unforgiveness. Satan loves it when God's people do not seek forgiveness. Satan loves it when God's people do not give forgiveness. Unforgiveness is his poison. Unforgiveness leads to anger and bitterness and separation. Unforgiveness kills and it destroys the biblical definition of Satan himself. A roaring lion seeking who he can devour. 2 Corinthians 2, or verses 10 through 11, very interesting passage. It talks about how the, in the unforgiveness, if unforgiveness is not happening, Satan has outwitted us, the text says. In other words, he wins. I'm on this side. How about we outwit him oh, by God's grace? That means if we're going to outwit Satan, the way that we do that is by being people that seek and give forgiveness. So here's our reality. We all sin. We all will sin. We will all sin against one another. God calls the redeemed to be forgiveness-seeking, forgiveness-giving people. Satan loves unforgiveness. Okay, is class happy? (laughs) This is heavy-duty stuff, isn't it? I just want to do some straight talk with you today. So here's what we're going to do from here. We are now going to talk about seeking forgiveness. Then we're going to talk about giving forgiveness. I want to talk about seeking forgiveness first because in our culture, in our world, forgiveness as a topic amongst in Christianity is generally is kind of from the person who is like, just forgive. And it's just like, just forgive everybody. And we don't like to talk about the whole aspect of seek forgiveness. Confess your sins. So I'm just going to tell you, the Bible talks about it, so we're going to talk about it here. I want to help us to be able to, the kind of people who are out of our pride, man and woman enough to be able to go, you know what, when I sin, I'm going to seek forgiveness for my sin. So here we go. Three things to be a seeking seeking forgiveness person. Number one, I acknowledge my sin. I'm going to kind of go over these quickly because we really talked about much of this last week in Psalm 32. You can even read Psalm 51 in addition to that. David is confessing his sin, and he first starts out by, he says, I acknowledged my sin as we talked about last week. In other words, I don't hide my sin. I don't excuse my sin. I don't cover it. I don't blame shift it. I'm not silent on it. It's the type of thing where I take my sin seriously. My sin. You take your sin seriously. 
It's like this. It's where David got to a point where he's like covering, covering, silent, silent, silent. Finally, he gets to a point where he acknowledges it. Need in essence, in his mind, he's going, "I sinned. I did that, and I know that sin is a big problem. So I've got to do something about that. I did that." Isn't it amazing how we don't want to get to that place? I didn't do it. They made me. It was just a bad day. We're great excusers. But listen, we need to start out and go, listen, I sin. Secondly, I confess my sin. Like David, he didn't just acknowledge it. And it's like, yep, there it is. But he stated it. He said it. He verbalized it. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins. By the way, if... If I remember right, I wasn't very good in English in high school. What what kind of statement is that? A conditional clause. I really want to go there for a moment, but I can't. I just want to let you know. There's a whole, is is forgiveness unconditional or conditional? If we confess our sins. Uh, We're not talking about salvation sin, if you will. We're talking about relational sin with God. And here, if we confess our sins, anyway, David here, it's talking about, I, I state it to God. I say it like this. God, I sinned against you. I did blank. Will you forgive me? Friends, there is power in words. There is clarity in words. There is relationship restoration in clarity of words. God, I sinned against you by lying. God, I've sinned against you with jealousy. God, I've sinned against you with coveting. God, I've sinned against you with lust. God, I've sinned against you with gossip. Name it. I'm serious. There is power in clarity. And when we name it, we know what's going on. God doesn't deal in fuzzy world. Read the scriptures. God deals in details. He's all about it. I acknowledge my sin. I confess my sin. By the way, with confess, James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. I'm okay with the God thing because no one will know. But to one another, that's hard, isn't it? In other words, I confess my sin to the appropriate circle. If it's something where I've sinned against my wife, then I need to ask her forgiveness. Hey, honey, I sinned against you. Will you forgive my anger? Will you forgive my selfishness? Honey, will you forgive blank? Maybe that's a child to a parent. Maybe that's a single to another single. Maybe that's friend to friend. Listen, there is power in words, friends. And we love mushing it. And so things stay in mushy world. I acknowledge my sin. I confess my sin. Third, I forsake my sin. Here's another way. I fruit my sin. I fruit my sin. In other words, I change fruits of repentance. Show. Uh, change course. Ephesians 4 talks about how uh, in it I, I put off actions and I put off attitudes 
that either head me there or, or our sin. I, I put those things off and I replace those. I, I, I put on the right kind of actions and the right kind of attitudes. It's about changing life. It's not just about wiffle dust theology. Uh, God, forgive me for that. And, and then three minutes later, God, forgive me for that. I mean, there comes a, a meat behind the words of it, reality. Question, when is a thief no longer a thief? Well, might say when he stops thiefing or when he stops stealing. Well, here's another question. When does someone who has responded and consistently responded in anger, say anger, cussing, or, or, or gossip, I'm just kind of saying from the mouth, when do they stop that? Well, when they stop verbalizing their anger, when they stop, well, wait a second, because Ephesians 4 defines it for us. Ephesians 4 tells us the thief is no longer a thief when he begins to work and give. It's not just about stopping. We can master the stop. Don't do that. Oh, by the way, don't do that. Oh, by the way, just in case you don't know, don't do that. You know, we can be great at that. But what are we to replace that with? Uh, Jesus here, or Paul here is telling us, to, helping us to understand. It's not just about putting something off. It's about replacing it. When is someone no longer someone who lives out of anger? It's when they become someone who lives and speaks grace and kindness and that which uplifts people, it, the text talks about. It's about putting off and putting on. It's I forsake my sin. Let me put it for you, techies. Let me put it for you this way. Here's the formula. I acknowledge plus I confess plus I forsake equals I repent. Listen, God has called us to repent. And repenting is serious stuff. It's about getting after the reality of sin in my life. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about how biblical repentance isn't just that thing of I feel sad or man, I feel the weight or I don't like the consequences of it or I feel guilty of it or even, you know, I shed the tears and so forth. That doesn't necessarily mean, in fact, it talks about that can be worldly repentance right there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 goes on and talks about godly repentance. Godly repentance is the kind of repentance where it talks about, it describes someone without regret with great earnestness, with longing, with zeal. I'll do whatever it takes to get after seeing this changed. And by the way, here's the hope. It's not about I will never, ever, ever get angry in my life ever again. It's the I'm making real fruit changes so that I'm less and less in honoring Christ more and more. And you can see the fruit of life being placed on what had been sins of life. I acknowledge my sin, I confess my sin, I forsake my sin. Let me just pause here for a moment and ask a couple questions. Are you a forgiveness seeker? In fact, maybe here's one way to think about it. When was the last time you went and sought forgiveness from God, sought forgiveness from others? Are you harder on your sin or your neighbor's sin? Your neighbor can be your brother or sister. Your neighbor can be your spouse. Your neighbor could be your children. Your neighbor can be a coworker. By the way, are you harder on your sin or theirs? And maybe here's the thing. How would they answer that? I want to ask, is there any unacknowledged, unconfessed, unforsaken sin in your life 
right now. Is there? Number one, here's what I would just ask. I would just ask, would you right now just take time with God and get it right? Make it right with him. Make it right. Just now. You can even close your eyes. You can keep your eyes open. It doesn't matter. Just even right now. I just want to tell you, maybe if there's something along where you need to get on a horizontal, that's the vertical, but on the horizontal. If there's something, maybe it's marriages or maybe it's friendships or maybe it's uh, parent-child situations or whatever, that, that you need to go in on the horizontal and you need to confess it. Listen, right now for the rest of this sermon class, I want for you just to kind of start thinking, what are you going to do when you're going to do it? I would love it if this afternoon, if there's restoration taking place all over the west side of Indianapolis out of here. God's that serious about it. In fact, in Matthew, he tells us, listen, don't bring your gift to the altar. Go make it right, then come. The horizontal is that important to God. Listen, if you're playing a game with God in it, and the horizontal isn't taken care of, I want to love you enough, seriously, love you enough to encourage you and challenge you. Make it right. There is immense joy and restoration and freedom when it's taken care of. Isn't there? And boy, married couples, don't you know about that? All right? Now, just quickly here to men and to women. Men, Karen and I generally have a statement. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard us say, men are generally lazy. Love you guys. Uh, But we are generally lazy. And let me just talk about it in the areas of seeking forgiveness. Here's oftentimes what we do, guys. We lazy boy our acknowledging of sin. We lazy boy it. It's kind of like sin. Hey, who doesn't? Sin, yeah, whatever. Or it's like, I don't fail. I'm a guy. I don't show weakness. And it's just a mistake. It's a bad habit. Uh, with confessing sin, it's like, it's guys, men are generally lazy. But that takes effort. I, I actually have to speak. Um, I have to care about the relationship to go do that. Guys, I, I love you enough. Let's man up. Let's man up to our sin just like David did in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And let's take it and then forsake it. You mean that I've got to work at it? Yeah, yeah, because it's really important for God. And God says when we do what's right, we will be blessed. I'm all about the blessed. And God says he will bless out of this. And so, guys, I just want to challenge you. And guys may say, yeah, but you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Hey, here's a hope for you. Number one, you're not a dog. And number two, we're not talking about tricks. Okay, so just throw that whole statement out. You can change in Christ. Women, Karen and I usually have this statement, women are generally critical. And a number of you right now are very possibly going, yeah, way to tell them, Doug. And I've just proven my point. I just quickly here for you, ladies, acknowledging sin. Here's, this is what Karen, getting some input from her. Oftentimes with women on the acknowledging sin, it, was, it wasn't my fault. If that person or if my husband or my child just would have done what I said or what I expected, I wouldn't have gotten in. They wouldn't have gotten me into this place. No, that's not acknowledging sin. It's blame shifting. Confessing sin, women are often much more sensitive to God and things. Uh, But then it's kind of on the confessing. You mean I've got to say it to him or her? I mean, they caused the problem. Uh, On the whole making change, forsaking it. Oftentimes, from what Karen said, it's kind of the, I'll change when he changes. I'll change when they change. Hey, ladies, I love you enough. 
I just want to say, woman up. Woman up. There's great joy in acknowledging and confessing and forsaking sin. What excuse are we going to have to tell Christ for not being someone who is a forgiveness seeker? Seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness. It's all good. It's all good. Next, giving forgiveness. Five things about giving forgiveness. If I'm going to be, if you're going to be a forgiveness giver, number one, I expect sin. Kind of talk about it. We all will sin. We all will sin against one another. But I'm talking about expect to be sinned against. Listen, you are going to be sinned against. I am going to be sinned against. Okay? We're going to sin against one another. Okay? Are we all cool with that? Well, you know what I mean. Okay, but that's the reality. Sin happens, it's going to happen. That means you need to be prepared for it. When that comes, what are you going to do next time someone sins against you? Don't react against sin, but act biblically to sin. Okay, so let me help you here. Number one, first is understanding I expect sin. Secondly, one of the options is I overlook sin. Scripture in 1 Peter 4, 8 says, let love cover a multitude of sins. How many? A multitude. Notice it doesn't say all. That's really important. Because there are some sins that we can't just let love cover. We'll talk about that in a minute. But overlook sin. Proverbs 19.11. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 talks about it, as I've already mentioned. I take my sin more seriously than others. I'm actually harder on my sin than I am on yours. I'm, hard, I'm to be harder on my sin than I am on my wife's. I'm to be harder on my... You got the picture. Harder on your own sin. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love keeps no record of wrong. I want to make sure we understand. Overlooking sin, it's not an excuse to avoid it. Overlooking sin is not enabling sin. Overlooking sin is a form of forgiveness of sin. Example, your brother and sister in Christ, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friend, whatever, a brother and sister in Christ snaps at you in the kind of way where they sin. Okay, that's just on the table. They've sinned against you. And it could be the kind of thing, my goodness, I know they've had a hard day. They've had a lot going on. Was it right? No. Should they have done it? No. But you know what? When I think about all the times my Savior has forgiven me for all my snip snaps in life. My goodness, why am I going to be hard on them? You know what? Love covers. In fact, how can I help them today, tonight, in light of I know everything going on behind some of that? I'm not excusing it. I'm not enabling it. But in the reality of it, I'm letting love cover it. Love, it's a deliberate decision. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to dwell on it. And I'm not going to let it grow to anger or bitterness. Uh, That's not allowing love to cover. If it gets to the point where it's still there, still there, you're having a hard time, talk about it. Bring it out on the table. And it may be the thing of, I'm struggling to have the ability to let love cover this. Can we talk? I love you and I love God enough that I'm going to do this. Overlook sin. I expect sin, I overlook sin. Third, I forgive sin. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. Ooh, wow. That doesn't work so well with pride. 
That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Confess your sins to one another. We must forgive one another passages include Matthew 6. I think I have these on your notes. Matthew 18, Matthew 11, or Mark 11, 2 Corinthians 2. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ God forgave you. That's the mindset. By the way, how do I forgive someone else? I know, just like God forgives. Just like God forgives. Let me give you a couple things here. That means I need to be ready to forgive. Why? Because Christ is ready to forgive at any time. Even to the person of the worst of sinners on the planet, the cross can be applied to them as well. Always ready to forgive. Ready to forgive a lot, by the way. Ready to forgive a lot. We'll see it in a passage we'll read here in a little bit. And ready to state, I forgive. I am so glad that the scriptures say that God says he forgives sin. I am so glad that it says that. I don't have to wonder about it. I don't have to make it up. I don't have to ponder it. I know when I confess my sin to God, he will forgive my sin. Guaranteed. Stating that is so helpful that God does. I need to state that as well. That's why when someone asks you for forgiveness, hey, Doug, will you forgive me for the sin of lying against you? Will you forgive me? Oh, it's all right. Don't, don't, don't say that. No, no, don't worry about it. No, no, don't say that. There is power in words. Bob, I forgive you. There's power there. There's clarity there. By the way, when I'm saying that, four promises that I'm making when I say I forgive I, I promise that I'm not going to dwell on the incident. It's done, released right there. I'm not going to dwell on the incident. I'm not going to let it stand between us. I'm not going to let it hinder our relationship. Third, Bob, I promise in essence that I'm not going to bring it up against you. This is what I'm thinking. When I stated that, I'm not going to bring it up against you. Uh, and fourth, I'm not going to talk about it to others. Whereas Bob, you know what? You did that last week. It is the week before. No, there are times where that conversation needs to happen. But it's the kind of thing in it where it's like, I forgive you. We're going to see a passage later. 70 times seven times. I'm not going to go, can you believe what my wife did, Bob? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Okay? When we forgive, we are releasing a person. Just like the Redeemer releases you and I from what we owe. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death. And when I receive Christ, his grace releases me from that debt. And by the way, I earned that debt. But he releases me from it. Matthew 7, 2. How you judge, you will be judged. How you measure, I like that idea. How you measure someone else, you will be measured. I expect sin, I overlook sin, I forgive sin. Fourth, I persevere beyond sin. Some here that I know of, some I'm sure I don't, have experienced some great 
sin done against you. Some have experienced some horrific sins done against you. And I want for you to know, God never condones sin. God never causes sin. God never wants sin. God never puts sin into place so he can get, so he can get done what he wants to get done. Never. But God is so big that he can use even the most horrific of sins ultimately for his glory. That's how big, that's how good he is. I don't want to give you some just trite answer, like just get over it. Sin hurts. But I do want to say that there is a perfect judge. Lay it at his feet. And I realize that is hard sometimes. I realize that takes work in your mind again and again and again and again to have to do it. But there is a great, perfect judge. Some here have done some great sins I'm not thinking anyone in particular. Great sins. I want for you to know there is a great Savior. If you're like, how could God ever use me because of what I've done? How could God ever use me because of what's been done to me? I want for you to know there is a great God. And we're here for you. And we're here with you together. I don't want this to be trite. But there is a reality in it where we grieve it and we leave it. We grieve it and we leave it. Go on. If God is omniscient, how could he forget our sins? Answer, he can't. Oftentimes people say, I can't forget. Scripture says that God takes and chooses to set aside our sin. Technically, he could pull it up anytime if he wanted because he knows all things. But because of the cross, because of what he said, because of what he's done, he's chosen to set it aside. And I am so grateful for that. Persevere beyond sin. Genesis 50, verses 19 through 20. Joseph said to them, his brothers who sold him as a slave decades earlier, leading him to slavery, leading him to jail, leading him to great mistreatment. He says to them decades later, as he's in, if you will, the power position, he says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Don't put yourself in the place of God. Let God be God. 
Don't put yourself there, is what Joseph is saying. As for you, you meant evil against me. Listen, it was evil. It was wrong. It was sin. But, but uh, Joseph said, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. In other words, God can take it and do great things out of it. Even in spite of that, God's bigger than sin. And there's hope for you and there's hope for me. Persevere beyond sin. Fifth, help reconcile sin. I'm a person who gives forgiveness by being someone who helps in the restoring process. Listen, there's going to be times in your life where a brother and sister in Christ is needing to seek forgiveness and you may come alongside them and be someone that helps them see that they need to seek forgiveness. Hey, brother, I love you enough that we need to talk and let's just, uh, you need to seek forgiveness for this. And it may be in that role or it may be in the role to where someone you're with knows that they need to seek forgiveness, but they frankly, they don't know how. And you help them along. What does scripture say? Help them role play it. So when you ask forgiveness, what are you going to say? I'm going to say, God, you know, Doug, will you forgive me for this? And if he says, well, it's no big deal. What are you going to say back? No, it is a big deal. Doug, will you forgive me? Helping them through that process may be something you can be a reconciler with. Also helping people receive forgiveness. It may be the type of thing, helping them by giving your full forgiveness. Yes, I forgive you. I could bet my bottom dollar there are people in this auditorium who would just be so thrilled if someone, some people in their life would come and ask for forgiveness. And then to be able to state it back. There's power. There's power. Well, as we wrap it, I'd like for you to open your Bible to Matthew 6. I just want to read a passage, actually two passages out of Matthew. Friends, I realize as I talk with this, as I said, this is kind of a class day, if you will. And there's so many things that you probably have questions on. We have people here who could help you with questions and so forth. For instance, you know, what, how do I forgive if no one asks, confesses their sin and so on and so forth? I just don't have time today to, to dig into it. But let me read out of Matthew 6 first. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, is, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look at verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a pretty serious statement, folks. Let me clarify something here. He's not saying you lose your salvation. He's not saying you lose your forgiveness. He's saying that giving forgiveness is the mark of a redeemed person. Redeemed people forgive. If I don't give forgiveness to others, I don't get the gospel. Okay? If I don't give forgiveness, I don't understand the gospel. 
Matthew 18. Turn to Matthew 18. Final passage. Friends, we're on a vertical journey together. And we need to be forgiving one another people. Let's close with this passage. Matthew 18. Let me pick up verse 21. With all that we've talked about, listen to the story here. Hear so much of what we've talked about in here. Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now understand, in that day, it was common. You were three strikes and you're out. So here Peter's coming in and he's going, how about seven? That's like really gracious. Look at Jesus' answer. I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven, 490. So after 490, I no longer forgive? No, that's not the point. Jesus is trying to blow their mind out of the water. Listen, in other words, it's like this. Hey, with the way that I forgive you, forgive others. Then he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. By the way, that's like millions of dollars. Okay, so this guy owes the king millions, how many? Millions of dollars. Is that a lot? I'm telling you, I don't have millions. Do you have millions? If you do, cool. But I want to tell you, that's a lot. Okay, millions. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, he ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, King, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. How many? How much did he owe? Hmm. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant, look, released him and forgave him his debt. I love that word, released him, forgave him. How much? That's a lot. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Let's say not a whole lot of money. Okay? And seizing him, he began to choke him and say to him, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will pay you. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the story? Yeah. Verse 30, he refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay him the little eeny weeny teeny little debt. That's kind of in between the lines. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, They were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked. Sir, wasn't that wicked? Wasn't that a wicked thing to have done? I mean, he was forgiven millions and then someone owed him a puny little amount. He wouldn't wouldn't let him go on that. That was a wicked thing, wasn't it? You're not sounding too convinced about that. Really, that was a wicked thing. It was. 
You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? As I had mercy on you, so you should have mercy on others. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Dude, that's serious stuff, isn't it? Well, I hope today some of the things we've put out on the table has just got you thinking. I also hope it's got you asking some questions. As time goes on, we're going to be able to come back to these things and flesh them out more. It would take me literally four weeks to be able to cover in depth each of these things. So take it, class. Take it before the Lord. What do you need to do? Do you need to seek forgiveness? If so, honor God in it. Do you need to grant forgiveness? Has someone asked you forgiveness and yet you keep holding it? Listen, I just want to encourage you. You need to repent of that. Get it right. Get it right with the Lord. Get it right with the person. And let's move on in joy, vertically together. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much just for your goodness. Lord, you're abounding, undeserved, magnificent, monumental, huge, massive, overflowing, unending forgiveness through Christ. Frankly, your forgiveness isn't fair. That's why it's grace. Undeserved. Lord, I would pray this morning if there's anyone here who doesn't know your undeserved forgiveness in Christ, that today they would seek that out with you. That they would ask, that they would seek to have a restored relationship with you, sin removed, covered, taken away, forgotten as far as the East is from the West. And Lord, to really hear his word, this is kind of an in house talk today. We're just loving one another. Father, I thank you so much for the unity that is in this place. It's a blessing from you. I pray we would be the kind of people that that uh, don't pat ourselves on the back for that. But instead, we realize that sin is going to come. My brothers and sisters are going to sin against me. I'm going to sin against them. And you know what? Today, maybe today is the kind of day where we drive the stake and we just say, listen, God, we're going to be the kind of people. We're going to be the kind of place that when when we sin against one another, we're going to go and we're going to ask forgiveness for that. We're going to man up. We're going to woman up enough. Because we don't want relationships left in the fog. And God, I pray we would be the kind of people in the kind of church that's real about all this reality. And when people come and ask forgiveness, that we would grant it joyfully. Because you have granted granted it to us abundantly. God, may we see sin big for the purpose of seeing your grace massive. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. May we be grace givers. In Christ's name we pray.